Hello there and welcome to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashoms in Johannesburg, South Africa and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we talk about the 2018 Africa Women's Cup of Nations as Nigeria plays South Africa in the final. Disappointment for hosts Ghana as they went out at the group stage and failed to get one of the three slots at next year's FIFA Women's World Cup. So that's the sad news for us. The host event couldn't come on. Oh, I'm very sad. I'm very sad because we don't know when we host the tournament again. Plus a look at the Under-17 Women's World Cup in Uruguay, where the African teams are all out, with Ghana doing the best of the African sides, but exiting at the quarter-final stage. Plus Stuart's thoughts on this weekend's London derby in the English Premier League, with Arsenal hosting Tottenham, and with Ghana striker Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang joint top of the English Premier League scoring charts. That's coming up later, but first to the Africa Women's Cup of Nations finals in Ghana, where the tournament ends on Saturday, with the final being played between defending champions Nigeria, who are ten-time champions, and South Africa, looking for their first-ever title. These two also qualify for the 2019 FIFA Women's World Cup in France. The third-place team also qualifies for the Women's World Cup, so while the third-place match is usually a non-event, it'll be huge this time with so much at stake between Cameroon and Mali. So the host Ghana went out at the group stage despite high expectations and a dream of hosting and winning. From Accra, this report from Betty Yorson. The 2018 Women African Cup of Nations is gradually coming to an end and this year's tournament has recorded interesting results, mixed reaction of excitement, sadness and heartbreaks. But talk of sadness and heartbreak, one cannot even explain the mood of Ghanaians right now. The match talked about host and win tend to be a host and exit. This is how Ghanaians reacted to the team's exit from the competition. The results wasn't good for us, though they are physical, they couldn't give us the best results. So that's the sad news for us. The host event couldn't come on. Oh, I'm very sad, I'm very sad because we don't know when we will host the tournament again. Oh, uh, I'm sad we couldn't qualify. I know next time we will try and then I blame the public too because we didn't want to support. So yeah, they didn't, they didn't have massive support. That, that was one of the things that affected them. But I'm, I'm very disappointed. But you know, let's hope better luck next time. Ghana is out. But let me give you some highlights of the tournament so far. Defending champions Nigeria predicted even before the competition that no team can match their quality. But they were given a shock of their life when they lost 1-0 to South Africa. The Bayana Bayana gave the Falcons a tough and frustrating 90-minute competition and crowned it with victory. Super Falcons striker Francisca Udeka described to me how she felt. I felt so bad because most of the teammates who played together in America and I think they're not better than me, but something happened where sometimes something happened for someone to things to get better so it happens and it happens that is soccer sometimes you have to as a professional it's just sometimes you have to let go of some issues and you must lose you must win it's soccer general so 
The African champions, however, came back strongly to revenge their defeat on all the teams in their groups. That's Zambia, whipping them by four goals to nil, and Equatorial Guinea by six goals to nil. The defending champions, however, struggled to make their way to the finals after a tough 120-minute game against Cameroon. The Falcons fortunately pulled through to the finals for the 10th time after beating the Cameroonians by 4-2 on penalties. Nigeria will be facing their worst enemy, South Africa, once again in the tournament. And this is what coach Thomas Zenebi had to say ahead of the encounter. You always have that aim to, to win the tournament and uh, the remaining champions, you, you, you still want to, to be there again. But uh, you also have to be humble and understand that other teams are also good. So it's nothing that you can buy on post order or something. <laughs> you, you have to work for it and you have to do your job. And, yeah, that's the only thing we can do. And uh, we, I think we have really good preparations now. So I think we are really good prepared and uh, I hope that we can have a good performance. And I hope Hopefully, hopefully that performance also so good, so it uh, will give us a week. Let's still talk about Nigeria. You can't say they are the most decorated national team in Africa. Will they be able to revenge on South Africans Bayana Bayana and defend their title for the 11th time? Or will coach Desiree Ellis put you to make history as the first former player to win the trophy with South Africa women national team. Well, 90 minutes of action will tell. But Nigeria, despite dominating Africa, has always struggled to make impact at the World Cup level. In all their 10 appearances at the global showpiece, the fathers the Falcons have gone is a quarter-final berth. This is what Falcon striker Francisca Odega had to say about that. We really need to prepare well. If you want to go to a war, you have to do your best. To, if you want to beat the best, you have to be better than them. We have a lot of good, talented teams, players around the world. But they don't depend on those players. They prepare well as a team and everything. So it's not just about Nigeria, but as whole Africa. So whoever that qualify for the World Cup, I think we need better preparation. So we won't be going there for just going sake. At least we have to make an impact, get there something. And I think this is the right time to all the teams in this year's tournament have really displayed incredible performances with pride. The three-week competition has not enjoyed the best of publicity as it has recorded low spectatorship. But one can only hope that the finals between defending champions Nigeria and South Africa will be able to enjoy some high spectatorship. My name is Betty Yorsen reporting from Accra, Ghana. Thanks a lot, Betty. Uh, so, Solomon, uh, Nigeria, South Africa in the final. Uh, who do you see taking it? Steve, for me, this edition of the African Women a Cup of Nations has really been exciting in Ghana. A lot at stake. And uh, it's great to see, you know, two of football's powerhouse when it comes to women football. That is South Africa and Nigeria in the final. And I visited the South African camp earlier before they left for the tournament. And, and I just felt they were well prepared. And a lot has been happening in South African women's football that people are not aware of. And I think we're beginning to see the fruits coming through. The team Banyana Banyana led by Desiree Ellis, who was the former captain, you know, are really beginning to come of age. So there's quite a lot at stake. But I feel South Africa will be more motivated uh, by virtue of the fact that they want to win this for the first time in their history and also because they had defeated Nigeria earlier and they've been playing the best football 
at the uh, Africa Women's Cup of Nations for me. So I, I put my money on South Africa, Steve. I think Nigeria is not going to be good enough to contain South Africa. Uh, if Nigeria had played two, three more games, then maybe they would be uh, they would be now gelling and playing as a team. But I don't think they would defeat South Africa. So definitely, I will put my money on South Africa. Yeah, uh, for me, I think this is going to be a very tight final. I think South Africa do have goals in them. And overall, they've been more impressive than Nigeria's Super Falcons. Also, the Super Falcons uh, could be more tired, having had to go to extra time and penalties in their semi-final. But uh, I think their experience might just see them take the trophy. Uh, should be an exciting final on Saturday, ending off the Africa Women's Cup of Nations. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And the Under-17 Women's World Cup ends this weekend in Uruguay. Uh, but the African teams are out. It's the sixth edition of the tournament, with Ghana having finished third in 2012, the only African team to have ever reached the semi-finals. Uh, this time, Ghana went out at the quarter-final stage, losing on penalties to Mexico, despite having won three out of three in the group stage. Uh, South Africa only managed a draw and two defeats. They went out at the group stage, as did Cameroon, although Cameroon managed a 1-0 win over Germany, which was a very impressive result, along though with defeats to the USA and North Korea. Your thoughts on Africa showing at the Under-17 Women's World Cup, Solomon? Yeah, it's definitely sad to see, uh, you know, Africa's showing this is the right time to give them the right exposure, to play stronger opponents from across the world and to compete, and not just to compete and, and lose, but to compete and win, to test themselves against some of these big teams. And now that they've gone to the World Cup under 17 and not been able to compete the way I expected them to and get good results, you know, it leaves some sort of a question mark around the future of women's football in Africa and also the performances of African football team when it goes when we go to a global tournament. Uh, I felt they could do better. I felt the performance of the African team overall was average. Yeah, I'd agree with you there, Solomon. And uh, we have the second leg of the CAF Confederation Cup this weekend too. It's a busy weekend. Raja Casablanca of Morocco 3-0 up from the first leg of the final as they play away to AS Vita Club of DR Congo. Also, the 2018-2019 CAF Champions League and Confederation Cup competitions are underway. We had the first legs of the preliminary round this week and the second legs this coming Tuesday and Wednesday. Now, these are extra tournaments are squeezed in as CAF has changed to an August to May calendar from next year to follow Europe. Uh, so this will be fast moving with the preliminary and first round being played before the end of the year. Uh, the group stage from January to March and the final of both competitions will be played in May. What are your thoughts on uh, this, Solomon, changing to the European calendar? Uh, many in Africa feel that it uh, doesn't necessarily work. Um, here in Zimbabwe, we've been having a March to November calendar because the rainy season is uh, December up until mid-March. Uh, so normally we start the season in late March. But uh, Zimbabwe will be changing to the European calendar from August uh, up until May from next year. Although there is a lot of opposition to that because the grounds here don't have good drainage. So it's very debatable in this part of the world uh, what are your thoughts well changing to the european calendar i think we have to look at 
you know, the geography of Africa in itself, you know, a part of Africa like the North Africa or a few Southern African countries have almost the same weather kind of uh, you get in Europe. Uh, and also they, they've aligned their leagues and they've aligned their, their championship to a European style. But if you go to the tropical Africa, if you go to places like West Africa or East Africa, it's totally a different ball game. And this is a, a good thing for like the African Cup of Nations. But you have to look at the leagues in Nigeria, the leagues in Ghana, the leagues in Mali or the leagues in Kenya. Do they do they really fit into uh, this calendar? And also you have to look at, you know, the... Uh, the the weather in different countries you know uh, sometimes in, in west africa is rainy season uh, and you would want to avoid playing too much football uh, or football in rainy season uh, because of just the the, the ground or, or is too hot or, but you could understand from an african nations cup and from a world cup perspective uh, why calf actually decided to do that but from a calf confet cup and also uh, the Champions League perspective, you, you ask yourself, is that really uh, what uh, should be done? But, you know, clubs like in, in North Africa, like in Morocco, in Egypt, they will be excited about that. And also clubs in South Africa, uh, you know, would be really excited about that because that fits into, uh, you know, their, their, their usual calendar in itself. Uh, but I think that there's quite a bit of confusion. It's going to be a huge adjustment for some nations and some club sides for them to be able to feed into uh, this new uh, this new strategy. Yeah, so we'll see how it works out. Thanks very much, Solomon. Uh, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs too in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. You can also listen on our New Look website, planetsport.tv. Our other shows are there. That's Planet Sport and the Planet Sport Rugby podcast, plus interviews with various sports stars, including Ghana's Christian Achu. And we've updated the About Us section so you can find pictures and profiles of all of the Planet Sport Football Africa team there. That's on our New Look website, planetsport.tv. Well, now we turn to social media and last week African football legend Didier Drogba announced he was hanging up his boots at the age of 40. His retirement brings to an end a wonderful career spanning 20 years with so many highlights. So last week we asked her, what was your favourite Drogba memory? Not surprisingly, a huge response to this, so we'll try and get through as many of your comments as possible. Uh, firstly, on Facebook in Nigeria, Akor Friday Mizzi says it was that wonderful goal he scored against Bayern Munich in the 2012 Champions League final. Uh, yes, a drunk by heading in a corner in the 88th minute of that game to send it to a penalty shootout and then converting the winning penalty himself. Ijoma Chigoze in Nigeria picks another cup-winning moment, saying it was the FA Cup win against Manchester United that was a great memory for me, says Ijoma. Uh, yes, that was in the 2006-2007 season when Drogba's extra-time goal gave Chelsea their 1-0 win. Baba Salim Umi in the Gambia picks another FA Cup final success, saying that goal against Everton in the FA Cup final was great for me, says Baba. Uh, this was in the 2008-2009 season when Drogba's equaliser set up the Blues for their 2-1 win. To Sierra Leone now and Aluspa Mans says my memories of him will always be his goals against Arsenal. And on that one, more Cisse in the Gambia says thank goodness he'll be scoring no more against Arsenal now. 
On to what's up now, and Khalifa Sanyang in China says, My favourite memory of Drogba has to be the Champions League final in Munich, his equaliser during the game and his final spot kick, winning Chelsea their first ever Champions League title. And Bender in Senegal picks the same game, saying scoring the equaliser and the decisive penalty against Bayern at the Allianz Arena in 2012 surely was his best moment because it was Bayern's home ground, says Bender. Dan Ogega in Kenya agrees, saying it has to be that last-minute equaliser against Bayern. It seemed by then the Blues had lost until he nodded home at Juan Mata's corner. And the rest is history, says Dan. Indeed, and that performance also won Drogba the Man of the Match award. Gamo is a Cameroonian living in the United States and he speaks for many, saying, Well, Drogba had so many iconic moments, both for club and for country, that it makes it hard for me to pick just one, says Gamo. He's a legend of the game and I just like how he always played so well against Arsenal. Francisco Dodoma in Malawi mentions the 2012 Champions League final and a time when Ivory Coast played Malawi at the Kamuzu Stadium in Blantyre. A drunk bar came off the bench to equalise when they were down by a single goal, says Francis, demonstrating that he was no ordinary player. Yes, that was in the 2010 FIFA World Cup qualifiers when drunk bar equalised three minutes after Malawi had scored the opener and just two minutes after coming off the bench to cheer the Elephants fans. Papa Mbewe in Zambia recalls Drogba's mixed fortunes from the penalty spot in 2012, uh, saying in the 2012 AFCON final he missed a penalty, but the same year he scored the winning penalty for Chelsea in the Champions League. Uh, Yeah, that was uh, 2012 when Zambia won the Africa Cup of Nations, but it says a lot about the character of Drogba to then score the winning penalty in the Champions League final after missing that one in normal time a few months earlier in the Nations Cup final. We always welcome your voice notes on WhatsApp and are from the Gambia. Mamadou Ba looks beyond Drogba's performances on the pitch. My favorite memory of Drogba is uh, the final goal header against Bayern Munich in the Champions League final. That was my favorite memory of uh, Didier, Didier Drogba. Anyway, he was a player I don't like inside the pitch because I'm a Manchester United fan. But... He was a player I like outside the pitch because what he does for his country and then what he what he does for Africa and then the amount of people he helped. So he always he's always there for his nation and then always there for the community, always there for Africa. I really respect the Chelsea legend, Didier Drogba. Thank you so much for the memories. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for that uh, perspective there, Mamadou Ba in the Gambia. Uh, Daniel in Ghana adds this tribute, saying Drogba was very instrumental for his national team and for Chelsea. He was the man for the big occasions. In 2012 in Munich, he proved to be the live wire in the Chelsea squad, and that memory will be hard to forget for decades to come. It's a shame he never won the Nations Cup, but I can attest to the fact that I love him as a great player, says Daniel. And finally, Desmond Tunde Koka in Sierra Leone is full of praise for Drogba, uh, speaking as a Liverpool fan. Uh, First, I want to congratulate him for having so many tremendous seasons, says Desmond. I'll say his performance is against my team, Liverpool, because whenever he played against my team, I wouldn't be happy until the match ended because he caused lots of problems against us. Well, thanks for that, Desmond. Thanks to everyone uh, who wrote in with comments there. Apologies if we didn't get to read out yours. Uh, so Stuart Weir is uh, with us from the UK, our European football expert. Uh, Stuart, what's your favourite Drogba moment? Well, Drogba's four 
FA Cup final goals were certainly special, so I'm not at all surprised that Joma Chikoti in Nigeria and Baba Salim Omi in the Gambia mentioned them. And of course, Khalifa Sanyang in China is right to mention Drogba's amazing contribution to Chelsea's first Champions League win in Munich, when he not only equalised, but then scored the vital penalty in the shootout. But my personal highlight was the Cote d'Ivoire Cameroon game in Abidjan in uh, 2005 to decide which country reached the next year's World Cup. I was in Abidjan for the game and staying in the same hotel as the Ivorian players and the pressure on the team was enormous in the stadium and in the build-up. And on the day, sadly, the Ivorians let it get to them and crumbled, losing 3-2 to Cameroon. But Drogba scored twice, including a free kick. And, you know, you almost knew he would score as he came up to take that free kick. And it had a happy ending because even though Cote d'Ivoire lost that game, results worked in their favour and Drogba led them to their first ever World Cup in Germany 2006. Well, that must have been an amazing experience. Uh, From Didier Drogba, let's go to the English Premier League now because there are two big derbies this Sunday. In London, it's Arsenal against Tottenham and in Liverpool, there's Liverpool against Everton. Uh, Let's start with the London derby and Gabon's Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is joint top of the scorers' charts and Arsenal 17 games unbeaten uh, while Tottenham come into this, Stuart, off the back of a sparkling win over Chelsea. Well, the North London derby is always an eagerly awaited game. And Tottenham go into it three points ahead of Arsenal, but then Arsenal have the home advantage. Both teams will go into it full of confidence. Tottenham are coming off that convincing win over Chelsea and seven wins in their last eight Premier League games. But Arsenal are unbeaten in any competition since August. But if we're actually looking for another interesting omen... It's that Tottenham have won their last seven London derbies. Tottenham lost to Manchester City and Liverpool, but have beaten Manchester United and Chelsea this season. Arsenal have lost to Chelsea and Manchester City and drawn with Liverpool. So based on that, you might say overall that Tottenham are the stronger team. But of course, we do go back to Arsenal having the home advantage. Both teams have played in Europe in the lead-up to the game and Tottenham have an extra day's recovery. Will that be significant? You know, I think it's so tight a single goal could decide it. The Merseyside derby on paper seems quite straightforward. While Everton are only four places behind Liverpool, it is 11 points and frankly there's a gulf in class between the two. Liverpool with home advantage, I think, must be clear favourites to beat Everton in this derby. But of course, it is a derby, so anything could happen. Yeah, indeed. And uh, Stuart, is the top four finish looking more likely for the Gunners now? Well, it's an odd season for Arsenal because they started with games against Chelsea and Manchester City losing both. But then they haven't lost since in any competition. To be fair, they haven't really played anybody you'd expect them to lose to in that time. Last weekend, for example, they beat Bournemouth, but only with the help of a freak own goal. Um, There are good things about Arsenal. It's certainly been a great season for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang with eight league goals in 13 games. And that is 18 goals in 26 games uh, in the year he's been there. 
also good to see the Nigerian Alex Iwobi getting seven starts and three league appearances off the bench this season. But, you know, with Tottenham, Chelsea, Arsenal and even Manchester United competing for two Champions League places, because frankly, I think Manchester City and Liverpool and the other two sewn up, it's not going to be easy to predict which two teams will get them. And it's certainly too early to know if Arsenal can do it, but my gut feeling is that Spurs and Chelsea just look more likely. Yes, and that makes it all so interesting, doesn't it? And Manchester United's poor form continues. Uh, They are through to the knockout stage of the UEFA Champions League, but they were not impressive at all, needing a late, late goal to beat young boys of Switzerland 1-0. And looking at the Premier League, Stuart, held to a goalless draw by Crystal Palace last weekend. So many things seem to be wrong at Manchester United. There are too many players not playing well enough. Lukaku... Pogba, for example. You know, Pogba was brilliant for France in the World Cup, but he's often ineffective for Manchester United. But the question you have to ask, is it the fault of the players, the system, or the manager? You know, United have used 20 outfield players this season, but the question people are asking is, does Jose Mourinho actually know what his best team is and what the best formation for that team is? And again, Mourinho seems to sign players and lose confidence in them. Take Eric Bailly, Fred, Alexis Sanchez. You know, big money signings, but they're not being picked. Lingard and Rashford find it easier to get game time for England than for Manchester United. Look look at Rashford. He started five out of 13 games. Sanchez has started five. Fred has started six. And these are the people you might expect him to be building the team around. And it's not as if they're being kept out of a winning team by better players because there are not many people who are doing well. Manchester United had a brilliant win in the Champions League over Juventus, but apart from that, it's been a dismal season. They're seven points behind fourth place in the league table, and frankly, to say that they're 14 points behind Manchester City seems irrelevant because there's no chance of catching them. Yes, so disappointing for Manchester United fans. And uh, Liverpool continued to get the results in the English Premier League, uh, certainly looking a little bit shaky for them in the Champions League after that defeat to Paris Saint-Germain midweek. But uh, in the Premier League, still just two points behind Manchester City. Well, with Chelsea losing to Tottenham, Liverpool, alongside Manchester City, remain the two unbeaten teams. City look untouchable, but Liverpool seem better and more consistent than any of the other potential top four teams. Liverpool have always attacked well under Jurgen Klopp, but this season their African strike force has done the business again, with Mo Salah scoring seven and Sadio Mane scoring six in the Premier League. But behind them is where they've really improved, with goalkeeper Allison having managed eight clean sheets already this season, and Virgil van Dijk now looking worth the $90 million transfer fee by the way he dominates games and marshals his defence. And amazingly for a central defender, he's only conceded eight goals in 13 league games. The only blot in the landscape was Jordan Henderson getting himself sent off for two silly yellow cards uh, last weekend. But, you know, they have enough players perhaps to do without him. Sure, and uh, things going well for Liverpool. And uh, what else caught your eye, Stuart? Steve, Fulham beat Southampton 3-2 in the relegation battle. And that means that the new manager, Claudio Ranieri, started with a win. But that was quite predictable 
because Ranieri has managed seven top-flight teams and has won his first game six times. But with every winner comes a loser. And under manager Mark Hughes, Southampton have won only three of their last 21. And at 14% win rate, that is worse than any other Southampton manager in the Premier League era. The Chelsea striker Alvaro Morata has been caught offside 18 times this season. And that is more than the entire Bournemouth team have been caught offside. Arsenal have won eight Premier League games this season without ever being ahead at half-time. So don't worry about getting there late because it's only the second half you need to see. And finally, I think West Ham will be hoping they don't get drawn at home to Manchester City when the FA Cup draw is made because the last four games at home to Manchester City, including last weekend, have ended 0-5, 0-4, 1-4 and 0-4. Oh dear, (laughs) West Ham finding it really difficult against Manchester City. Well, thanks very much, Stuart. Uh, That's it for the show for this week. Uh, But on social media, we're asking, how do you rate Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's time at Arsenal so far? Uh, The Gabonese striker is joint top of the English Premier League scoring charts, as we said earlier. Eight goals from 13 games so far this season. And as Stuart pointed out, since Aubameyang joined the Gunners last year, he's got 18 goals in 26 games. So how do you rate his time at Arsenal? And what is he capable of achieving with the Gunners. Certainly Aubameyang was exceptional in the Bundesliga in Germany with Borussia Dortmund. What can he do with Arsenal? You can post a comment on our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. From me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Solomon Ashams in South Africa, from Stuart Weir in the UK. Thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.